The Black church has always been a hub for that. It's also been a place where we are affirmed in our Blackness, right? And I didn't want to lose that. I want to be unapologetically Black. Is our congregation all Black now? No. But have we changed the ethos of Black leadership and Black-style music? Absolutely not. Because that affirmation of our Blackness and that God loves us as Black people is imperative. And that's what the Black church brought. And I didn't want to lose that. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. What up, folks? This is Leroy Barber with Sit Up Podcast. And uh, again, we are thankful for those of you who've been following along with us. Uh, today, um, we're going to uh, talk a little bit around black history. But before we do, I want to uh, just remind you to hit us up at Sit Up Podcast on Facebook. Also, you can send questions or comments to me at, at Leroy Barber on my Twitter, at Leroy Barber on my Facebook, uh, or my Instagram, and we'll, we'll get back to you. Thanks for all the recommendations for shows and all the comments that you've been making in the text. Uh, we feel the love. Thank you so much. Also want to make sure I continue to give Amina Brown and Matt Owen a shout out for uh, the music that introduces our podcast and that we use throughout uh, from Soul Graffiti. Uh, Amina and Matt are great friends, but also wonderful, wonderful musicians uh, and spoken word artists. I want to make sure I continue to shout them out. Matter of fact, Amina is going to be in Boise, Idaho at the NLI conference in a few weeks on March 14th. So those of you, I know we got some friends and folks in Boise who, uh, who download and listen in. Amina and Matt are going to be there on March 14th. Um, at Jump. So make sure uh, you come, 8.30, Mina and Matt Brown in Boise, Idaho. We'd love to see you. So this week, we are in February, and I want to uh, spend a little time um, on some topics around Black history. And I want to talk today uh, specifically about um, Black pastors, it's a hot topic, and everybody has different opinions about them. But I want to—I remember um, this pastor uh, in Philadelphia where I grew up. His name was William H. Gray III. I don't know if you know that name or not, uh, but William Gray III uh, was a congressman. He was in the second congregation, congressional district uh, out of Pennsylvania. And he, he, he was in Congress most of my life or, or my growing up years. Uh, he, 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 he was the chairman of the House Committee on Budget. Uh, he was the House Majority Whip. Uh, he was this incredible leader of our country, um, leading in Washington, but I don't know if everybody under uh, knows that he was also Pastor Gray, right? Uh, he was pastor of a church, Bright Hope Baptist Church in Philadelphia. So I knew him as a pastor, heard him preach, but also knew he was doing work. He was a congressman. Now, at the time, I didn't know much about what he was doing in Congress. I, I didn't understand it all, probably in my growing up years. But now as I look back on it, I go, that was a pastor who was helping to run the country. He was the chair of the House Budget Committee. 
He was a majority whip. Do you believe that? A pastor. He he graduated from Simon Gratz High School, went to Franklin and Marshall College, went to Drew Theological Seminary and Princeton Theological Seminary. Pastor William H. Gray III, congressman, probably goes against a lot of what people think about pastors and about black pastors in particular. I don't know. I don't know if you have seen or watched the show Greenleaf, but that gives a real different perspective or picture of black pastor, doesn't it? The picture I just painted about William H. Gray III is really different than Pastor Greenleaf, right? This this wealthy pastor over this mega church, right? Uh, with all of these offices in his, in their church building, he's a he's a dictator of of sorts, right? He calls the shots, right? Uh, 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 he 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 maybe is a little bit homophobic, right? But 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 lets the musician, you know, uh, be queer, you know, kind of this. Don't ask, don't tell. And then, but once the musician wants to come out, then he has to go, right? Are these stereotypes that you have of black pastors? It's surely what Greenleaf was putting out. What stereotypes do you have about black pastors? What do you think about these black pastors in mega churches? Some names that come to mind are, are T.D. Jakes, right, in Dallas. Pastor Creflo Dollar out of Atlanta. Bishop Eddie Long, Long rest his soul, who's passed away now, but Bishop Eddie Long at New Birth in Atlanta. And then there's an old school name I want to bring up. Uh, and if you don't know this name, look it up. Fred Price, right? Who was this kind of name it, claim it black pastor who kind of brought that idea to, to the forefront. What do you think about pastors like that? What do you think about those names? What do, you, what do you think about filmmakers like Tyler Perry and the way uh, they portray black pastors? Did anybody see uh, the movie Friday? The pastor was a crook, right? Pastor sleeping around, those kinds of, of things. What comes to mind when you think about black pastors? What are priorities that black pastors have to make that are different than the than their white counterparts? Do you do you know anything about small groups or does your church just go to Bible study? And your pastor teaches that Bible study and in in many ways are expected to teach some of those Bible studies. What about local or international missions? The determination of a black pastor and what's being spent locally and uh, and the stereotype of not caring about international. You know, you know that story. 
When does your church do meetings and programs? Are they during the day? Do you have lunches during the day and meetings during the day? Or do you have meetings in the evenings or weekends primarily? We're going to talk a little bit about black pastors here, huh? What? And then there's this, there's this, this, this final thing I want to want to throw out here is, is it okay for your black pastor to say that they are a Christian first? They're not black first. We've gotten some, gotten some, some comments around some of that. Are you a, are you a Christian first or are you a black pastor first? This is Leroy Barber with the Sit Up Podcast, and we will be right back with today's guest. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Too young to die, too old to live another. Face forward, make sure you ain't frightened. Running life's race means starting something. Each day, new beginning, rise with the sun. And put on your kicks, cause life's a trip. I don't run alone, cause I'm known to slip. I used to think the chrome was the way to live. Till I saw too many in before they could begin. Stop everything and reposition. Let your soul grow, rethink the mission. Let the world know that you mean there's a difference between plans and wishes. All right, this is Leroy Barber. I'm back with today's guest. Um, and we are talking from Black History Month a little bit. And we're talking about Black pastors and what you think about Black pastors. Uh, today's guest is a good friend and a buddy from the south side of Chicago, uh, Pastor Jay, as he is known, uh, Jonathan Brooks. Uh, pastors, Canaan Baptist Church on the south side of Chicago. Uh, Pastor Brooks is a writer. Uh, he's a hip-hop artist uh, and, and is also pastoring a church. Uh, also is uh, speaks all around the world, literally. Uh, and uh, I think um, is a, a modern-day ex- expression of what pastor means. But Pastor Jay, I just want to Want to want to want to throw it to you uh, and ask you. Uh, you are not the typical stereotype pastor that we are we are bombarded with on our TVs. And uh, so, tell me a little bit about one. Talk a little bit about your church, but then also um, how you became a pastor and and what do you what do you see that role as in your community? Yeah. All right. Well, first off, thank you, Leroy, for uh, having me here. Uh, it's always good to uh, be with you, brother. Um, so, yeah, it's crazy, man. So, Canaan, first and foremost, Canaan is uh, uh, predominantly, I mean, historically African-American church on the south side of Chicago um, in the West Inglewood neighborhood. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with Chicago geography, that's the heart of the hood. And um has uh, been a staple in that community for over a century and is uh, just trying to continue to be a place that uh, that loves the people of God, but also loves uh, the neighborhoods and the places in which you find those people. So uh, I have been pastor there for the last 13 years, and it has been quite a journey. As Leroy stated, I'm not the like quintessential, typical black pastor. I mean, I 
uh, I grew up with that. I mean, I know I know how to rock cufflinks in the suit. I know how to, you know, hoop every once in a while and and then to make sure that people understand <laughs> what need to be said. <laughs> but overall, for me, although I grew up with that and even went through kind of an identity crisis when I became a pastor, whether that's what I had to be in order to rightfully do the position. Hmm. Uh, ultimately, what God showed me was that I was called to be a pastor um, as Jonathan Brooks, not, as, not by mimicking what I'd seen growing up. Right. And what Canaan needed and what West Inglewood needed was someone who understood the good, bad, and ugly of that neighborhood, was willing to step into it, and then just be a tangible representation of God's love there. And so, yeah, I'm a, I was 26 years old, had dreadlocks down my back, loved hip-hop, grew up in the neighborhood, knew everybody, whether they were, I called them auntie so-and-so, or they was my cousin on the block, or we just went to school together. And, uh, and so when I began to pastor the church, rather than jumping into the paradigms I grew up with uh, of what a black pastor was, not that they were negative and bad, Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk about that as this goes on, but it was just not who I was, and God needed me to be who I was. That's why I was called that way. So, yeah, um, our church has made a big transition in that way from being more of a traditional style church to um, being a church that embraces whatever our community needs. And so that's changed the way we dress. It's changed the music we sing. It's changed um, kind of the way we look at how the church should serve with its community. Um, but it's helped us to keep that black ethos because that's also what our neighborhood needed. Yeah. So, so you didn't enter this uh, from a traditional, uh, from a traditional route even. And, you know, I'm the same way and I want to be careful with this, with this. And we are not, I am in no way saying that those things are bad or negative, right? Like, we're we're not we're not coming to this saying oh wearing a suit to church is is bad or you know the the level in which a black church is a little louder than a white church we're not measuring uh, ourselves to those right. things but those things seem to be um, the butt of jokes right they seem to be a comedian yeah. takes those things to town um, and so tell a little bit about what you what you did bring forward, what you do appreciate about, about the black church and what it, what it brings to, to the community. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. You watch any black movie and every time they personify the pastor, there's going to be a whoremonger. He's going to be somebody out for money. Uh, he or she is going to be somebody who is not looking out for the best interest of their congregation, but for the best interest of themselves. Um, and then, you know, outlandish scenes with crazy dancing and music. And, mm-hmm. um, and while some of those things are necessary, are, are definitely have been a reality um, to narrate it as one thing is the issue. But there are many beautiful things about uh, African-American church and African-American church culture that I wanted to hold on to. Mm-hmm. First and foremost is the, the immediacy of community and family in the black church, right? Like that idea that everybody's auntie so-and-so or sister so-and-so or brother mm-hmm. so-and-so because we recognize one another as family. The church I grew up in, um, when I was little, man, we, 
we had the Mississippi Club and the Georgia Club and the Arkansas Club. Why? Because right. during the Great Migration, people moved up north to Chicago and were looking immediately for places to connect. And it was the church that was that place to connect. So they can connect around their faith in God, but also their geographical location, things they were uh, familiar with, recipes, music, you know, culture. And, uh, and the church, the black church has always been the hub for that. It's also been a place where we are affirmed in our blackness, right? And I didn't want to lose that. I want to be unapologetically black. Is our congregation all black now? No. But have we changed the ethos of black leadership and black style music? Absolutely not. Because that affirmation of our blackness and that God loves us as black people is imperative. And that's what the black church brought. And I don't want to lose that. Even the tradition of like the, the music, right? Like I've added hip hop to it. We've added more uh, uh, different styles, but we haven't lost the hymns. We haven't lost the traditional gospel because that stuff is the stuff that got our ancestors through, right? I love Negro spirituals and we sing those in my church because they are an important part of the black church experience. So I feel like we added on and got to keep the best of what was there. So to me, it's a win-win, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, we threw out a bunch of names, right? And you know these names, like T.D. Jakes and Creflo Dollar and Bishop Eddie Long and Fred Price from, from back in the day. Do you yeah. find yourself today as, as, a, black, as a black pastor uh, on the south side of Chicago being measured against these kinds of standards? Mm. Mm. Um, absolutely, bro. Like, there's nothing you can do, really, right? Even, and this is what I always say about a, a, a single narrative, right? A single narrative, what it does is it permeates the minds of the people that hear that narrative. So even black people themselves begin to believe that there's a, a, a certain mold that you as a black preacher have to fit into, even though they know that the black experience is diverse as black people are. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, we believe the narrative and actually perpetuate it worse than I think people on the outside of our community when that single narrative is the dominant one. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I found myself either having to defend myself from like those who may lean more towards like a prosperity gospel and find themselves preaching that type of stuff. And then I'll go into a space and, you know, especially, you know, black folks who ain't who got hurt by the church in some way, the first thing they're going to say is, oh, man, so you out here getting your money too, huh? How many, how many women you got, right? That type of stuff. Right. Um, or, it, or the congregation size or the, um, the, the grandness of your Sunday worship service. All of these things become barometers of whether you're a good pastor or not, which is crazy because right. pastor is about walking with and loving people. So, like, the size of your edifice and the number of people in your congregation and how many, you know, ministers you have on staff and all these other things that people measure by, um, they actually become incorrect measurements for what biblical and kingdom success actually is. Hmm. Kingdom success is about people, not about stuff. That's good, man. So, tell me, tell, so what do you, what, like, so you're measured against these standards and mega churches, which mm -hmm. there aren't that many of those, right? Well, uh, the super minority. <laughs> right. That's the minority, right? And so the, the everyday kind of, uh, you know, church that's in a neighborhood, in the community, trying to, in the middle of the grind, trying to make it, doesn't look like that, right? Uh, but, 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 but comedians, right, folks like Tyler Perry, they portray this, this one way. Um, like, how do you, like, 
and you're in Chicago where a lot of this stuff, like a lot of these things are, they shoot these things in Chicago, right? Like, how do you deal with that when people walk in your door thinking that's, that's what it is, or they don't walk in your door thinking that's what it is? Yes, yes, yes. That's a good question, Leroy. I'll tell you, man, um, it's an unfortunate uh, reality that it's often our own people that cause the most damage to us, right? Like, we have the opportunity to make our own movies, movies like Lottery Ticket and All the Medeas and all these movies that portray black church in them. And we have an opportunity to show something different, like a, an integral pastor who just is striving every day to walk with the Lord and love people. And we don't show that, mm-hmm. right? But what I've learned to do is to every single day live intentionally to defy that narrative, right? So when somebody comes to my church, if, if, if I've done the work that I'm supposed to do, they should already not expect that when they come in. Mm-hmm. Because they, they would have heard that oh, no, Pastor Jay actually lived next door. He don't live out in some suburb or in some bougie place. He lived next door to the church. He grew up in this neighborhood. Like, we see him all the time. Uh, you don't have to wear no suit when you walk in there because Pastor Jay is one of them people that's going to be up there in shell toes and, and jeans and a T-shirt, right? They, they should already know, like, hey, man, that's the, you know, the, the neighborhood should be able to say, hey, that's the hip-hop church. They got a hip-hop service every fifth Sunday, man. You should go in there. They have a DJ, breakers, MCs, like the whole nine. Mm-hmm. So my thing is not to wait till Sunday to prove to anybody that we're a different kind of church. It's in the way I live and my congregation interacts with the community every single day. So no matter where you are, you shouldn't have to wait till you come to my church to meet Pastor Jay. You ought to see me in the grocery store. You ought to see me at the cafe. You ought to see me walking down the block going to the candy store. You ought to see me with my children outside playing because I'm a part of the community. And so that's my goal. My goal is to be so present that I don't have to defend myself or, you know, say I'm not like the pastors from Preachers of L.A. I don't have to tell you that. You meet me and you know that. And, uh, and I think that's the charge of the local pastor is to rebrand the church, rebrand the pastor to, like, you know, combat the stereotype that is out there. Right. I tell people all the time, you know, I got a food poisoning once from a Wendy's when I was younger. And I didn't just stop going to that Wendy's. I stopped going to all Wendy's. Because I was like, well, I'm not messing with Wendy's no more, man. They, they got me sick as a dog. And people think that, like, you can be an outlier as your church, and that's enough. Like, it's not enough for just Canaan and for Pastor Jay to be an outlier. I got to live in such a way that it begins to permeate and to convince other people that there are many churches and that there are many ways the church looks. Yeah. So you don't have to stop going to every church because you have one bad food poisoning experience in yeah. one church. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Yeah, bro. Yeah. So, so a uh, couple more things. And I, I, you know, the, the, the one thing it are like, that's icy question a lot are priorities that black pastors make that are different than their white peers and then get criticized for these priorities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so one big area is in missions, like local or international. And this right. black churches don't want to do international missions, right? And, mm-hmm. and these kinds of things. Or, uh, or you know, uh, meetings during the day, right? Or, you know, like your staff meets at 12 o'clock during the day. But, you know, like I, your staff can't meet at 12 o'clock during the day because they work it. They got to meet at 7 o'clock or on weekends, right? Yep. Yep. So there's this, there's this different mode and priorities. Like, 
what are some of those priorities for you? Just to let folks yeah. know, like, here no, is what we've done man. in this space, right? <laughs> I mean, first and foremost, man, like, I grew up in a paradigm where, man, it's really like one staff member at the church and everybody else a volunteer, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. That's to get a, get a salary, maybe, and then everybody else just volunteer. That's a black church I grew up in, and that's most black churches, right? And so the priorities become, how does the pastor make sure that he understands the reality of his parishioner? Like not putting unrealistic expectations on your congregation, like we're going to meet at 12 o'clock, mm-hmm. or I need everybody to be able to travel to uh, China for some missions trip when folks can't even go to California. You know what I mean? Like, this is crazy. Right. right. And then, um, you know, I would even say like the challenge of uh, of of idolizing like the spiritual components of church. Right. Like mm-hmm. we only have to worry about whether or not people's souls are saved. Right. You can only worry about that because ain't nobody's body in your church up for grabs or in danger every day. Right. I can't only think about the spiritual aspects of, for my congregation. I have to think about whether there's healthy food options in our neighborhood. I got to think about whether people can get jobs. I got to think about how they interact with police and incarceration systems. Right. I got to think about, right, like all of these things because our bodies and our lives are in danger as black people mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. And so, man, our priorities shift, right? We have to give college scholarships. We have to make sure that we have opportunities for our young people to go further in life yeah. as the church. We can't leave that up to society because they already have let us down. Right. So, man, those priorities shift, man, tremendously. Um, and we just, we just, we think about church in a different way. Church is family. It's yeah. the way that we sustain ourselves. It's not yeah. something we go to to have a service, you know? <laughs> Right, right, right. Matt, dude, thank you so much. Hey, Pastor Jay, how can folks uh how can folks get in touch with you, connect with you? Uh tell us about your book a little bit as we close this out. All right, most definitely. So if you want to connect with me online, I'm Pastor Jay on Instagram and Twitter. Pastor Jay is spelled P-A-S-T-A-H-J. So think of it like pasta you eat, H-J, that'll help you out. Um, and now you can also find me at PastorJ.com, spelled the same way. Uh, Facebook is Pastor Jonathan. So it's just same thing with my whole name. Um, my book is called Church Forsaken, Practicing Presence in Neglected Neighborhoods, published by InterVarsity <laughs> Press. You can find it on Amazon.com. You can get to it through PastorJ.com, through IvyPress.com. Pick it up. It just talks about how the local church needs to be loving its neighborhood because the command to love our neighbor automatically means that we should love our neighborhood. There are no God-forsaken places in the world, only church-forsaken. All right. Well, thanks, Pastor Jay. We appreciate you being on. This is Leroy Barber with the Sit Up Podcast. We're celebrating Black History Month and looking at a different kind of pasta. Thank you, Pastor Jay. (laughs) All right, Leroy. Thank Uh, you. It can seem that nothing leaves a mark like wounds do, but the funny thing about wounds is given time to heal, they make the most beautiful tattoos. Some people call them scars. But in the eyes of the right beholder, they can be art. Love doesn't keep secrets. Love chooses to see. Forgiving and accepting that you've been forgiven can set you free. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. 